97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Austin Rutherford with Elevate Life. He flew in from Columbus, Ohio to talk about how he's done a million plus in each of the last three years and the importance of building a business around your lifestyle. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. A uh, question I get all the time is how to become one of the 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. All you need to do is just take consistent action. You will become one. When you hear a nugget, please type into the comment section and after the show, identify your single biggest takeaway and focus on only that for the next seven days. If you get value today, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Austin to answer. You ready? Absolutely, let's do it. All right, so first question is, what got you into real estate? Yeah, so my first dream was to be an NBA basketball player. You know, nice. That, that nice. didn't work out. Uh, so after high school, I went out to Arizona, actually here, Arizona, to play basketball for a year. Uh, but it got to, like, basketball is how I treat business now. I was in it all day, every day. You know, I was trying to grow as much as possible, work as much as possible. But it got to the point where I hated touching the rock. And, you know, for me in my life, that was my life. So when I started hating basketball, like, I felt lost in my life. You know, maybe, you know, somebody gets laid off, somebody loses a job. Like, you don't know what to do. That's where I was at. And, it, like, there was a lot of tears and everything. Uh, and I don't know who gave me the book, but the book uh, Think and Grow Rich mm -hmm. uh, was given to me when I was 19 years old. And then I read that. That was really fortunate. Yeah, agreed, 100%. And I read that and it opened up my mind to the possibilities of actually making money in business as an entrepreneur. Uh, so, and then I, the next thing I read, I don't know if it's true or not, but it said 90% of all people who filed a tax return with a million dollars or more on it had real estate in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know, basketball didn't work out, so yeah. let's try real estate. I love that line. Yeah. But I can't find that actually stated anywhere. <laughs> but it's a I great line. Agree. I don't know if it's true, but it worked for me. <laughs> yeah, I went through, I went digging for a while, like one night, and I can't find where that was sourced. You, you tried to look for it? I tried to look for it. And, but anyway, let's talk about basketball. So yeah. what was, what was the basketball dream? Uh, it was the, to be in the NBA, you know, when I sophomore, uh, eighth grade is mm -hmm. when it all started, you know, I never played basketball up until then. And uh, the dream was just, just to go to the league. I don't know if it was like for money or desire or, were you in Ohio? I was, yeah. So you're a Cavaliers fan? I am. Oh, and so I like was. Craig Elo, like who was, who was, who was the stud back then? I don't even know back then. No. You know, I, I remember when LeBron started. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I forgot you're a lot younger, man. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so basketball was the dream. Uh, didn't pan out. Nope. Moved to Arizona. Nope. Think and grow rich. Nope. And then what happened? 
Uh, so that, like, I don't know why I hated reading books. I, I never worked on myself before that. But for whatever reason, I started reading books and I started journaling. I'm a big proponent in journaling. I try to do it every day, even today. So I was sitting up on my rooftop. We had a condo, the whole team that was staying in it. And uh, I was just journaling about life. And I ended up looking across uh, the, the backyard and there was like a 10 or 15 unit apartment building back there. I was like, man, you know, if some guy owns that building and he's got 10 or 15 people paying him rent, I knew nothing about numbers, if it was a good deal or a bad deal. But I was like, he's got to be making money if 15 people are paying him. Mm -hmm. And then that's what that's what triggered real estate. And I just started buying like every like book, every small course I could find, anything that like could get mailed to me to learn. And, uh, you know, fell in love with passive residual income and then bought my first house when I was 20 uh, after I moved back to Columbus. In Columbus. Yep. So, um, you know, looking at this, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up in Arizona, like home ownership is just normal, right? Yeah. Like you go get a job and you buy a home. Um, I lived in California for a bit. And over there, it's like, maybe you can buy a home. Yeah. But you also resign to like, that's for rich people. Yep. In Ohio, I learned later on, it's kind of crazy. It's just normal to rent. Yeah. Can you explain that to me? I grew up in a household where my parents owned the home. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, I don't understand it. But, I mean, people are just used to renting over there. But, I, like, the whole Midwest is yeah. just. It's a great, I think maybe, too, it's a great place, for like, cash flow-wise. So, a lot of landlords from all over the country own there. For investors. Yeah. And that's why they're going there. Yep. But why is home ownership, like, not a thing there in the Midwest? Because it's cheaper to own than it is 100%, to rent. 100%. I think this goes back to, to education, to high school and college. You know, it's, it. it's something that they don't teach anywhere in the country, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but people don't understand money. They don't understand, you know, debt. They don't understand finances. And, you know, people don't know that it might be cheaper. A lot of people don't know that it's cheaper to rent, than, uh, cheaper to own than it is to rent. Got it. I, I don't know. I don't know why, though. So you think it's just uh, <laughs> insufficient financial literacy, like up and down the I think most, so. I mean, that's what, it, obviously that's what's happening. I yeah. just know if that's like the main reason. It's just their whole lives, like, you know, your generation before you, generation before you. Yep. And that's the reason why appreciation is a challenge. Yep. But man, those yields are amazing. Agreed. I mean, I, I, I know people that have lived in a rental property for 20 years and they've paid rent for 20 years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you could be, you could own the house free and clear at this point. I had a property we bought during the recession. Um, because we were afraid our, we were losing our house to foreclosure, so we bought another property as kind of a, <laughs> like a backup plan. And we didn't, we know we were able to do the loan in our house. And that lady lived in our property, mm -hmm. and in the course of 10 years, paid our entire mortgage. Like she, yeah. like our house was free and clear yep. from all the rent she paid over 10 years. Yep. It's. But people don't, people just don't understand it. Yeah. Which is crazy. So, all right. So, 20 years old, you mm -hmm. buy your first rental property? Yeah. Duplex. Right. So, talk about that. What was that process like? Yeah, so fell in love with the idea of, of passive residual income. And, uh, you know, I just, I wanted rental properties. I wanted passive income. And uh, the, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea how to evaluate rental properties. So again, I just tried to learn as much as possible. At um, 20 years old. Yeah, exactly. So I actually moved home, I think when I was 19 and got a valet job back at home just to try and make some money. And then, uh, you know, started diving into real estate, uh, trying to understand like what was a good rental property, how I made money on cash flow. Like there was a podium on my valet where like you'd like scan tickets and stuff, mm -hmm. and like everybody would be out running cars, and I'd be in there like looking up like duplexes and rental <laughs> properties and putting my cash flow calculator <laughs> together. And uh, you know, looking back, shout out to them for not you know pulling me away, but yeah. uh, did that for like a year, and then started actually going out and looking at houses with the realtor. And like I built my own like spreadsheet, you know, the PITI and then the rental profit, 
uh, the amount of like monthly rental income. And, uh, you know, I ended up finding a property where the net was about like eleven, twelve hundred dollars $1,200 a month on it. And uh, it was a duplex. One side paid for more than the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. So, uh, and was a situation where you were house hacking or this was just a straight up rental property? I didn't even know about house hacking then. I wish I did. I absolutely would have done it, but I ended up putting like 20, 25% down on mm-hmm. the property. You know, I wish I'd have known house because it's only like three and a half percent. Right. Okay. So was this all through books or was it other places too? Um, it was like books and like, uh, like you can, I don't even know what they are, if they have them nowadays, but you can order like binders of mm-hmm. like information. Uh, so I read those too, but it yeah. was, I didn't even know what YouTube was back then. I didn't even know what podcasts were back then. Uh, it was just like literally ordering 10, 20, $50, mm-hmm. like pamphlet things and just learning as much as possible. Was bigger pockets around then? I didn't know about it. Yeah. It might've been. <laughs> All right. So you buy your first duplex. Yep smooth sailing or were there challenges becoming a first time landlord? Um, it wasn't too bad. Like the property was fully renovated when I bought it. It had yearly tenants in place. They were all month to month. Um, so when I bought it, I increased rents like, I don't know, 50 or a hundred bucks a side. Uh, the only issue was it had, um, not been tube wiring in it. It's the only thing they didn't update. Mm -hmm. So on the remedy request, we asked them to update it and they did. Uh, but outside of that, like it was pretty smooth. And then I self-managed, uh, at the time, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, everyone hears the story, like you get the call at midnight, it was Super Bowl weekend, that night of the game. And I got the phone call that the furnace went out and you know, in Ohio it's cold. You can't just like yeah. ignore that phone call. So me and my dad, I called my dad. I was like, Hey, uh, dad, we got to go fix this furnace <laughs> and uh, drove down there. And after that, I was like, I'd never want to be a landlord. I'd never want to personally manage the yeah. properties. Uh, so, you know, besides that, it, it wasn't too terribly bad though. Right. And then what was the next deal? Uh, the next deal. So when I put that money down, uh, like back in before that, just in like high school and middle school and stuff, I would cut grass, I would shovel driveways, I'd flip candy, I'd make Buckeye necklaces, which is an Ohio thing, and then sell them at the football games. So I had a bunch of money saved up, which is how I what I used for the down payment on so the you property. So you were a hustler before, trying to, yeah. yeah, get it by any. I actually got in trouble because they thought I was slinging dope in high school, mm-hmm. but I was selling like gum and like Sour Patch Kids out my backpack. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but um. Uh, started doing that and uh, I lost my train of thought. Well, talking about <laughs> buying that second property. Yeah, so I was broke after I put the down payment on the mm-hmm. rental property. I had zero dollars. Uh, so I was like, all right, I gotta make money faster. And my real estate uh, agent at the time made like $8,000 commission on the house. And I was like, all right, well, like, let me try and get my real estate license. So I went out, took the classes, got licensed. I did like the speed classes. It took me like two weeks to take the classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, got licensed, sold like two houses, hated it, you know, people driving people around, showing them houses. Uh, it's just not a fun experience for me personally. Uh, so I started <laughs> looking into other ways of making money. Yeah. Heard a web, uh, a, a radio show. I was like, hey, if you want to learn how to flip houses and become a millionaire, you know, mm-hmm. come to this free seminar. Went to the seminar, invested into a mentor program, education program. Um, how and much then was that? $25,000. And at the time, you didn't have twenty five thousand. No, not at all. So How did that work. <laughs> it was a three day seminar. Day two, they're like, "Hey, we got this program. You need twenty five grand, but you got to have it tomorrow." Mm-hmm. And I had like a few grand at the time, and I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be tough." So I went home and I applied for American Express credit card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told them I made a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I told them I had an eight hundred credit score, roughly, <laughs> give or take a zero. <laughs> And uh, they approved me for a line of credit on the credit card. Uh, so I maxed the credit card out, mm-hmm. uh, but I was still like five, ten thousand $10,000 short at the time to, to make the, the $25,000 payment. I was 21 years old. 
Um, and like for me, it was that, that moment in life where like I knew it was what I needed to do, but like I couldn't do it because I didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was still living with my parents. And like I asked my parents for the money to loan me the money. I, you know, asked my uncle for the money. Like I asked anybody I could think of to try and get the money. And everyone's like, no, you know, it's too good to be true. You know, they're, they're not just going to teach you to be a millionaire. You know, that's the sales pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, just work hard. Right. And uh, so my parents ended up, I was living with my parents. They ended up going to sleep. And I literally legitimately crawled under my dining room, my parents' dining room table and started crying. And it wasn't just crying. It was like bawling because my parents ended up waking up because I was crying so hard. (laughs) And they came downstairs and they like, I don't know, they realized that I was serious about it. Mm -hmm. You know, they've seen that I've hustled in the past and made money. And uh, they ended up fronting me the other part of the money uh, to get into the mentor program. So the next day, I got goosebumps just telling it. Uh, But next day, walked in, swiped my credit card, maxed it out, 18 months, no interest, Mm -hmm. and thought I was going to get rich in a month. But that doesn't always happen like that. It's not (laughs) as easy as it looks. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Whether on social media or on the stage. 100%. 100%. (laughs) Okay, so then what happened next? Uh, so again, so I swiped the card. I had 18 months, no interest. And so I was like, all right, I got to pay it off in 18 months. So, you know, I started, uh, uh, sending marketing, you know, they taught us like direct mail, like probates, foreclosures. There wasn't cold calling or RVM or SMS, or at least I didn't know about it back Mm then. Uh, I only knew about really direct mail. Uh, so I started, I went, found out like how to pull lists from the, uh, the County recorders website, uh, the probates, the divorces, the foreclosures and the tax liens. So I did that every week. So I had new data, started sending them out back then. Probate was a tremendous thing. Cause nobody did that. You know, yeah. a lot of people do it now. So got a bunch of deals from that, but not quickly. Um, and then I was still valeting cars. So still working like 50, 60 hours a week. Still hustling. Yep. Um, I promised my mother I'd get my college degree. So I was going to college taking 15 hours. Was that a condition of the the loan? Uh, Probably was. (laughs) I just grew up like go to school, get a degree, go to work, you know. So I just promised her I'd get my degree. So I was going to college taking 15 credit hours. Uh, I was still a realtor at the time trying to sell houses. Didn't work. And I was trying to start the real estate investment company. So I'd go to work from seven to three. And then most days I'd have college at night. Um, I would write letters in my parents' basement till one, two, three in the morning, hand addressed envelopes to get people to try and sell me the house, mm-hmm. go to sleep like midnight, one, two o'clock, wake up at 6 a.m. the next day, go to work. Like I was putting in 18, 20 hour days like like clockwork. Uh, there was a time I got off work at three o'clock, I was driving home and I literally fell asleep at the wheel. And the only way that I woke up is because I hit the curb and I was on the sidewalk and there's a light pole in front of me. Thank God I woke up, went back on the street, drove home, started writing handwritten letters to send out the sellers. So like to me, it was like, get it by any means. Like I had a debt that I had to pay off mm-hmm. and like I was gonna make it happen. Uh, so 10 months into that process of doing that every day for 10 months. So zero up until this point. Zero, literally nothing. You know, I was, I had the debt of the mortgage. I maxed out my credit cards. Like I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And there was like at times a hundred dollars in my bank account. And uh, finally, you know, a seller called me from a probate mailer. It was the fifth postcard I sent to them. They called me, they're like, hey, you know, my mom passed. Got this house I'm looking to sell. It was like seven siblings with, you know, wives and uh, husbands. And in the state of Ohio, there's dower laws. Mm-hmm. So all the wives and husbands need to sign off on the contract as well. So that was a nightmare, just getting it in contract. Uh, but put in contract for, uh, I think, $102,000 contingent on the foundation inspection. Um, and the foundation was, went through, it was terrible. It was like 28 grand to fix it. So got it reduced to $74,000. And you know, at the time I've never raised private money in my life. 
uh, you know, so trying to figure that out. It was a $170,000 rehab. So it was a quarter million dollar raise. And, uh, you know, luckily figured it out, got a private money lender to fund the entire deal Mm -hmm. and uh, flipped it, sold it, made $103,000 net profit six months later. So 16 months from swiping the credit card Mm -hmm. to actually making money, 16 month process, sold it, took that money, reinvested it and just just built it from there. Paid off your debt. 100%. Yeah. So you were 22. Yeah. What year was this? uh 2015 okay so i want to hit a couple of points here because um i am uncomfortable mm-hmm. right with some of these other programs out there yep. that charge 25,000 mm-hmm. you know but they exist yep um there's two things here first you had uh conviction yep this was going to happen 100% this is your destiny yep you're this is why you know this opportunity was presented to you yep and you made it happen yep what gave you that conviction? It's just the want, like the desire, the will to win. You know, people talk about like they have it. Like, what is that it? Nobody mm-hmm. knows what that it is, but people have it. Some people have it and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I'm a competitor. You know, I love to win. I, I love to make money. You know, my why then was to get rich and go on the vacations and have the cars and the Rolexes and all those things. And, uh, you know, I was just willing to get it by any means. Yeah. Um, and, like, I know I'll, I'll outwork anybody. If it right. really comes down to it, like, oh. I'll put in more work. I mean, clearly, I mean, you're falling uh. asleep at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit too much. Uh, so, and the reason, why, the other reason why I brought this up was that, you know, you not only max out your credit card, you got a new credit card just to max out. 100%. And, again, you know, we frown upon this industry uh, that encourages people to sign up for credit cards and max them out. But here yeah. you are. Right? Doing it. And... I didn't do that, but I certainly maxed out my credit cards. Yeah. You know, uh, I think when Chase called my credit card dude, like, hey, by the way, we're going to shut down your credit card. Um, I think it was a 39000 you know, in credit card debt. <laughs> running it up. <laughs> right. I was running it up. And that was how I was running payrolls, how I was paying for everything. Yep. And so, like, we always tell people, like, you know, be cautious, be careful, whatever. Why not be cautious, be careful, but, like, don't swipe for this 25K program. Yeah. But who are who am I to say that if I'm the kind of person that did it with that conviction? that will, you know, the the best way to motivate me and possibly you too, is tell me I can't do it. 100%. Right, and then it's watch me. Yep. So, all right, so you got that big deal, clear six figures, Yep. pay off your parents, pay off American Express. Yep. Then what happens? So, uh, people don't believe me when I say this, but I literally didn't spend a penny. I didn't go out to eat, I didn't buy a pair of sneakers, I didn't go on a vacation, like nothing, put it all back into the business, went back to school and went back to my job the next day. Still valeting cars, hundred grand at the age of 22 years old. More money than like I've ever seen, anybody that I've ever known has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went back to work, right? Because I know one deal isn't gonna change your life. Like one deal doesn't do anything for me. Well, and also you took 10 months, was it 10 months? 16 months to close that one. Yep. And so th- I think there's also a curse because some of these guys have instant success, right? Yep. Like, you know, check out this texting platform or this or that. And like most people struggle for a long time yep. and unfortunately quit. But you have a couple guys that will first month close their first deal. Yeah, one, right? one, one marketing campaign. Yeah, and they'll clear 60K. <laughs> and then they're kind of like, oh, this is easy. Yep. And because they think it's easy, they may not appreciate it as much. Whereas you are like savoring. <laughs> yeah, for, for real. <laughs> it took a long time. Yeah. All so. right, so you went back to work. What, didn't, didn't go crazy with it. What happened after that? Yeah. So kept marketing, kept going to work, kept, you know, going to college. And I think like two months later, I got the next deal from direct mail. 
Um, her husband passed away. She moved in with her daughter and the house was vacant. It was full of all types of stuff. Uh, the, the landscaping package was like 15 grand and it wasn't like to make it nice. It was just to clear the brush. So it was completely overgrown um, and ended up the contractor that did that job was two doors down from the first house I did. He was renovating another house. So I just went in there. I was like, hey, my name's Austin. What's your name? Like, do you do work for other people? Uh, so networking is huge in this business, too. But it he, ended, he ended up doing that next house, bought it, used private money to do it. Took like 30, 45 days to renovate it, sell it. Three months later, made another like 40-ish thousand dollars. So I was almost 150 grand in profit in that period of about four months minus the other 16 months on top of it yeah and i was like yeah this is it mm-hmm. so i so went now it's real yeah i was like all right this is cool and i had the next deal in contract yeah i was like all right like it's working now all right so i went home i was like hey ma like you're never gonna see me graduate i'm done with college <laughs> <laughs> and i was still living with them at the time so they they understood it they saw the work the money mm-hmm. that was coming in they're like i, I wouldn't expect anything different mm-hmm. went into work the next day i was like hey uh i'm done i ain't coming back yeah <laughs> And just went all in on real estate. Got it. All right. So you you, you slammed it on a couple of flips, mm-hmm. but you're really more a buy and hold guy. Yeah. So talk to me about that transition. For sure. So I, all I knew was real estate. I, I wanted to get into real estate because of passive residual income. But then you start making money and people lose track of buying rental properties. Because the thing with rental properties is you don't make money today. Mm-hmm. You make money long term. So I lost vision of that for a little bit. I was just chasing the money, you know, putting up multiple six figures a month and wholesales and flips and making great money doing it. But it's like, all right, it's always chasing that it's next great deal. Active income. 100%. Very active income. And, uh, you know, honestly, so I had like 25 units or so up to about 14, 15 months ago. And then a buddy of mine, he's got a couple hundred units and like he w- I was crushing it at the beginning money wise and he was like eating crap because you don't make much money on rentals. And then I saw a switch. He's like, yeah, I just did a refi of like 30 properties. I paid off 15 of them. I refied the other 15 and I got an $800,000 check, no tax. I was like, all right, rentals is the way. Tax free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so just kind of went all in on rentals over the last like 12 to 16 months. Um, got, it. got almost 70 units now. And uh, that's that's our first exit strategy is to just keep keep uh, stacking the rental properties. Yeah, that's uh, that was something that um, the first time I heard about this was mm-hmm. that you can do a cash out refi yep. and just take all that money out tax free. Yeah. And it's not income. Yep. It's equity. Yep. So there's, it's no crazy. Reason to, there's no reason to get taxed on it. Yeah. But the idea that you can have 800000 right here. Yep. And not have to pay Uncle Sam a dime. Seriously, that's one point two in the real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's an amazing uh, concept. Okay, so you saw this, your world got flipped inside out. Yep. So you said it was two years ago. About yeah. Okay. So then, what you just started keeping everything, or what, what happened next? Everything. So like our first. So you just stopped wholesaling, stopped flipping. For the most part, like we still do a little for deals that don't fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like when I started, it was just rehabbing. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. I didn't know about wholesaling. I didn't know really know much about rental properties. Um, and then I saw an opportunity to start doing new construction um, in my city. There's a neighborhood that was getting developed. There's a bunch of rehabs, no new construction. So I took the profits, bought a whole bunch of land, made a bunch of money on new construction, bought a couple rentals like every every now and then. Uh, and then got introduced to wholesaling. So started wholesaling more instead of doing these $150,000 rehab projects. 
so then got to wholesaling, bought a couple rental properties. Uh, but now our first option is to keep it as a rental property. So when deals come in, we evaluate rental properties. We're looking to burr it with no money out of pocket mm. and at least $400 a month in profit per door before like vacancies and repairs and things like that. Uh, and if it hits those numbers, we're keeping it as a rental, no questions asked. Uh, if it doesn't hit those numbers, if the rehab's less than 50 grand, we can get in and out of those in about 30 days. Uh, we're going to buy it and rehab it and flip it. If it's more than 50 grand, we're going to wholesale it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about transactions kind of right now. Well, so before you did this transition, mm -hmm. what were you doing volume wise? So at the beginning, when I was like just doing flips and stuff, mm -hmm. I would do like two to four flips a month. Uh, but like we were popping 50 to 80 grand a profit on each. Um, so especially the new bills, we were doing six figures on the new bills, which is great. Um, and then we got like kind of into the wholesale model mm -hmm. and scaled, you know, sales team and dispositions team and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, we were doing like 10 ish a month. Um, and now like, you know, it's, it's came down a little bit. Um, just, I feel like people scale chaos sometimes. They scale something that they don't actually want. Um, so I'm very conscious of like my goals and how I want my lifestyle to look mm -hmm. like. Um, so now we're doing like two to five a month, it. um, but it's very, very limited overhead with those. And then, um your involvement with our friend Carlos yep. was probably instrumental in some way. For sure. So that that's when I got put on to wholesaling. Got it. You know, all my all my deals up till then was from direct mail and driving for dollars. Mm -hmm. That was it. I didn't know about Cocon or RVM or SMS or any of that yeah. stuff or list buying. Like I, I didn't know any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of like what put me onto the wholesaling thing. And I just blew up the marketing, you know, scaled the team um, and made a lot of money. But again, it's, it's not what I personally wanted at that time in my life. Right. So obviously having a friend that's having a lot of success, For sure. buy and hold certainly helps. But even then, what kind of help you focus on lifestyle? Because we all get started for the same reason, right? We all get started because we want to make a lot of money really fast yep. and have uh, time and financial freedom. Yep. But then once we get started, that thing about making a lot of money is really shiny. Yep. And that part about the reasons you started kind of start 100%. getting a little dark. How did you remember to keep your eyes you know, uh, on why you started? For sure, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. People start something for a reason and then lose sight of it. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get out of that. Uh, and I was stuck in it for years. You know, I was work, 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 work all day, every day, like no friendships, no relationships, like just work and make money. Uh, but you know, I think mentors are huge. The people around you that force you to do the right thing, even when it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of my mentors, like he always like pushed me to like, you know, get out uncomfortable and spend money on myself. And I think part of it, too, is like burnout. You know, I got to a point where I, like, I was like, man, like, I don't know if real estate's really it. You know, this is this is a lot of work. But I think it's from burning out from working nonstop all day, every day. Uh, so with those two things combined, you know, they pushed me to buy a nice car. Uh, that was a Jag. It was a $30,000 Jaguar. I was literally driving to the dealership to buy it. And I called my mentor and I was like, I, I feel like I don't deserve this. Like, I feel guilty for buying it. And I could afford a $30,000 Jaguar, right? And uh, he was like, bro, go buy the car. Like, that's what you work for. Mm -hmm. Go buy the car. And the cool thing is once you buy the car, it'll pay for itself 100 times over because it'll create conversation. It'll put you into rooms that you weren't able to get into before. Mm -hmm. and It'll make you grow mentally. Uh, so when he said that, I was like, all right, well, like I can have nice things and make money, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a win-win. Yeah. Uh, so started doing that, you know, started traveling more. Um, it just, 
I love the lifestyle side. Like people, and it's the question like, you know, how much money do you want to make versus how, how do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still trying to find that perfect balance. I don't know if you'll ever find it, uh, but I'm, you know, I love to travel. Was that Mark Evans that yeah. was pushing you that way? Yep. Yeah. If you're listening, Mark, waiting for you here. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually texting him a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so the lifestyle then is mm-hmm. the focus. So talk about that. Cause I mean, you said you're 27. Yep. Right. Unusually young to have this kind of like perspective. It took me, I think I was like 35 when I finally figured this out. I was like, oh, you build a business around your lifestyle. Yep. yep. Right. So talk about how, talk about that mindset and talk about how you execute that. Uh, again, I think it's a lot of, you know, going back to mentors, you mm-hmm. know, Mark kept telling me, he was like, people build a business and then build a lifestyle around it. Right. Same thing you just said, you need to build a life and then build a business around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just, just being very conscious of that. And like, so I'm moving to Florida next month. Like I'm moving away from my hometown to go to Florida. I was thinking about doing this for years, but I was like, no, I gotta be in Columbus. That's where the business is at. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be there. Stuff isn't going to get done. And it's, it's consciously just thinking and getting out of your own way. I think the big one of the biggest blessings is traveling. So I, we do like vacation masterminds. People fly in and people are like nervous. Like I can't leave my business for five days. But when you leave your business, you realize what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You take you remove yourself from the for, from uh, from the equation, and we go on like a yacht trip one of the days. Like you don't have cell service, so you physically like have to remove yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like very eye opening to watch people go through. It was for me when I first did it. Yeah, it's like man, like I'm not the guy that solves every problem. Like somebody else has to. You got to call somebody. And be like, yo, I'm I'm not going to be in today. If something happens, like you got to handle it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you can do that one day. Why can't you do that every day? Yeah. So just being very conscious of my thought process um, and forcing myself to travel to put better systems and people and processes in place. So travel. (laughs) If you'll travel, you'll find what's broken in your business. Yes. And then you can fix it. 100%. But people are too scared to travel. Yeah. Well, if you don't have a business where you can walk away for a couple of days, you don't have a business, right? And so like, you know, you're in masterminds, I'm in masterminds, I've been in, in some other crazy masterminds, and it's always fascinating to me when you're at a mastermind, when the guy's always walking in and out of the room. Phone calls. Yeah, yep. right, because it's like, if you're always walking out of the room, then either you don't trust your people, or you don't have the right people. Like it's one of those two things, Yep. and it sucks. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine living that life. Or, I've been there, I've yeah. been the guy going in and out of the door, and I hated it. Yeah, it's tough. So, another thing that's interesting is, I've been following you on TikTok. <laughs> You're everywhere. Yep. You're always on my uh, for you thing, right? <laughs> Why are you in TikTok? Man, uh, you know, we were talking about this before this, but social media eyeballs is the future. Mm-hmm. If you can if you can impact people, help people, um, you know, have people love, you know, love you, respect you, want to, to be like you, want to support you, whatever it is. Um, I truly believe like when people ask, like, what's your net worth? It, it, it doesn't work like this, but it's going in that direction. Eyeballs, followers. Mm-hmm is a portion of your net worth now. Yeah. Because like, again, you can, you can help more people. You can make more money with the more influence that you have. So, uh, you know, a little over a year, year and a half ago, I just went all in on social media yeah. and, uh, TikTok is one of the only platforms where you can get like really, really good organic reach and get in front of more people. Um, so we're on TikTok. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Cause Gary Vee's been saying it for many, many years, yep. you know, uh, attention, attention is currency. Yep. And he's been telling us for many years, like, get on TikTok, get on TikTok, get on TikTok. And we're like, whatever. Yep. It's a kid thing. Right? It's like, <laughs> you know, like, you got that coach that you kind of stopped listening to. Like, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, he did really well. And then for a while, like, the players stopped listening to him, you know? Yep. I think Gary Vee's been right many, many times. Like, 
is he really right about this TikTok thing? Yep. And then you see it now. I was like, God, I missed out on it. 100%. You know, so, and not that I've missed out on it, but like, it was definitely a lot easier. Oh, for sure. A few months ago. I had a buddy that, so, told me to start it. I created an account. I made Mm -hmm. like one post and I was like, forget that. Mm -hmm. And my buddy told me to do it. And then that same buddy, like four months later, he was like, yo, like you really got to get on it. I got 150,000 followers. He does personal training, online personal training. He's like, my business has like three X because he talks about like nutrition and stuff. He's like, like, you really got to do this. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll do it. And then the first video I did, it was like how I became a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And you just like point on beat type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like bought a house in 1920, you know, flipping first house, 22, blah, 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 blah. And it went viral. It had like 400,000 views on it and like got tens of thousands of followers, hundreds of comments. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, like this is it. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's, But the other thing with social media, too, that video, mo- how I became a millionaire. People are scared of what other, other people think, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they don't post on social media. I started going through the comments feeling good, right? I was like, yeah, man, like let's, let's, oh, look, the, let's look what people are saying. Comments. And it was like, how you became a millionaire? You sold your hair, right? <laughs> and it was like 30 comments of like me going bald, right? And I read the first two. I was like, oh, oh man. Like, it stings. Yeah. Yeah. And then I kept reading. I was like, man, fuck them. Like, I'm going to do me. Like, y'all do whatever y'all want to do. Yeah. So you just can't care what other people say. I mean, I've had stuff on there talking about like buying time yeah. and buying time by like not eating, yeah. you know, fasting. Yep. If you fast, you have more time and more money. Yep. And they're like, you know, someone with those cheeks should not be giving comments about fasting. Like, God, that was unnecessary. A hundred percent. And it's nonstop. And the more yeah. you're out there, the more you get. Yeah, the more you get. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you're talking about like the first one was the pointy thing because um, I was talking to Khan. I was like, Khan, like, I need some tips. Yep. Like, uh, Kong Lee, you know, you're crushing it. And this is when he just hit like a little past a million, right? Yep. He's like 2.4 or something crazy now. Jeez, going right? crazy. But I was like, you know, kind of like, what do I got to do to grow TikTok? It's like, and his response, can you point? <laughs> <laughs> it's literally that simple. We overcomplicated it. It's literally point on beat six times and write a couple words. Yeah, it's nuts. All right, so then what's the purpose though? Like, so you're, you're, you're able to influence people. Mm-hmm. You can demonstrate, show them what you're doing. Yep. Um, got it. And then... Um, you know, Ryan, Ryan Panita was on the show and he said that he got a bunch of money, right? Lenders yep. from TikTok. Yep. So are you getting any private money from TikTok? I haven't got it through TikTok, but I've got it through Instagram and they may have came from TikTok. Yeah. Uh, but I've raised money from social media. I've bought deals from social media. I've sold deals from social media. I've coached people from social media. I've became friends with people from social media. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's nonstop. So... Raise money through Instagram. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that story. So I had a deal completely funded, private money. It was the first position. I think it was like a hundred in the first and forty grand in the second position to fund a deal. And the next day it was closing, and the f- person in forty thousand dollars called. It was a longtime lender. I think a deal went sideways or something, and they didn't end up getting paid off. They called me like seven p.m. the night before. I'm like, you couldn't give me like another day or two. <laughs> He's like, hey man, like I didn't even want to make this call. That's why it's so late, but. I can't do the deal. I was like, what? He's like, I, I can't do it. I was like, it's cool. I'll handle it. And like, I could have called other lenders because like we, we built that, you know, those relationships. But mm-hmm. I was like, let me try Instagram out. So I posted on Instagram. I was like, yo, I need a $40,000 loan. I'm presenting an opportunity for a $40,000 loan. Um, you know, if you're interested, hit me up. A bunch of people hit me up, got on a call with a lady and never met in person before, never private messaged them before, nothing. Got on the phone and I was like, hey, like, you know, where you at? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the opportunity. I just want to be transparent with you. It is a second lien position, which is harder to raise money for. 
and I need it in the next 12 hours. <laughs> and uh, we, like, we obviously the conversation was longer than that. But at the end of the conversation, she was like, it's, it's crazy that like this is our first time talking and I'm getting ready to wire you forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000. But I feel like I know you personally from following you on social media for the last six months. Yeah. I'm in. I'll send the wire tomorrow morning. So, it's crazy. Like the, the, the relationships, the, the connections that you have. Yep. Because people watch you and i think it's rightfully so yeah but it's still kind of crazy to me it, it's my like people ask to like take pictures with me or i'm walking around they're like you're that tiktok guy yeah. and it it's it's still very surreal to me right now i'm still waiting for that moment <laughs> <laughs> it's happened like twice to me so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen it uh you know again hanging out with kong and like a couple times like hey you're that guy yep. you know it's like wow this this is a real thing like this actually happens 100 <laughs> percent. but it, it's People always ask, like, well, what do you post, right? Mm -hmm. People that follow you want to just see everything about you. They want to see what time you wake up. They want to see what you eat for breakfast. They want to see where you work out. They want to see you going through your emails and closing deals. They want to see you getting on the phone. They want to see you driving to your car. They want, like, they want to see everything. Mm -hmm. So something that I learned, like, early on with social media, like, what do I post? You document, you don't create. Mm -hmm. So you document what you're already doing in your day-to-day -day life you don't have to go out there and get crazy and start creating. Eventually, you'll get to that. But to start, you just document it. You right. literally just post what you're already doing. Yeah. It's really simple, but we still overcomplicate. For sure. So how are you finding deals right now? Uh, yeah. So uh, at, the, like, at the beginning, it was just direct mail. Mm -hmm. And then it got RVM, cold call, and SMS and direct mail. Always done direct mail. Um, now, like really the best leads is cold calling um and some direct mail we i've done that for seven years i've never stopped we still get deals from it their sponsor rate has gone down for sure mm -hmm. um i think that's gonna go back up soon i agree because people are going away from it now that everyone's yeah. well i think people are gonna uh i think texting is going away agreed and yeah. cold calling yeah. i think those response rates are dropping right now yeah um but right now we're getting a ton of deals from social media yeah. Just, just you know, from other wholesalers messaging me in in our city and around the country. Mm -hmm. It's like, yo, you buying Columbus? Yep. Yo, you buying Ohio? Yep. Yeah. You know, we got we, there's like four big markets in Ohio, and then we have buyers in all the markets. So I just phone them to my team, and you know, a lot of them we buy, and other ones we help, you know, uh, co wholesale. What are the markets you guys are buying in? So we only buy in Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, but we do deals in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and like the Dayton area, and got Columbus, it. obviously. Um, and so. It's interesting because, like, you know, a lot of people have said that the culture in Phoenix is really cool. It's a lot of collaboration, right? We got Carlos, Sal, yep. Alex. We got uh, the guys at Batch, got Pace, Jamil. A lot um, of them. Brand Daniels, right? But we all collaborate. And we're all friends with all one another. And everyone looks at us like we're weird. Yeah. You know? But then there's you and Tiffany yep. and Jerry. Yep. And um, I don't know how much you work with Tim Brotz, but, like, yep. you guys are all friendly to one another as well. Yeah. It's not like there's beef in there either. 100%. So talk to me about collaborating up in, in, in Ohio. Yeah. So when I started, I was the guy that like wanted the, like everything. I mm -hmm. wanted 100% of my little little grape, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to tell people like how to market. I didn't want to tell people like how to talk to sellers. I didn't want to tell people like any of those things because if the secret got out, like my business would be done, mm -hmm. right? And uh, finally, again, mentors have been huge in my life, you know, talking about having 100% of a grape or 20% of a huge watermelon. And uh, the cool thing is you meet better friends, you know, you have real relationships with people, you make more money, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you do cooler stuff. You're not just doing like little $50,000 houses. You're doing like apartment buildings and new construction and other types of stuff. Uh, so collaboration has been huge for me. You know, there's, there's still people that we cross by that is like hundred percent me, 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 mm -hmm. and they don't want to collab, which is, which is fine. Uh, but I, I just like my, my niche is not your, everybody else's niche. You know, if I get a, you know, 200 unit apartment deal, I'm calling Tim Bratz, mm -hmm. right? If I get a, a new construction house in Columbus now, we're not doing it anymore. I know who I'm calling. Right. So collaboration has been huge. You know, it, it's, I've made more money with less headache and less time from JVing with people. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is collaborating is like you guys can compare notes. Yeah. Like it's just really quick. Like, Hey, yep. this stopped working for me. Does that working for you too? Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's very, um, very quick market research. It's it's so impactful. And the thing is, like, the people that will collaborate with you are bigger thinkers. Yeah. Right? And yep. there are people in town that we don't collaborate with, which is fine. Like, whatever. Yeah. But I feel in some way, like, you know, bad for them because they'll never get better. Yep. Right? Like, they'll do well. They're doing great. Like, having a great business, whatever. But they'll always be that. That's it. For the rest of their career. Yep. They're right? stuck. They'll never yeah. get out of it. Like, I, I think one of the people are like, oh, I've been you know, wholesaling houses for 10 years now. Mm. Like, I don't want that. Like uh. 10 years from now, like I don't want to be doing the same thing I've been doing. Yeah. Right. But that's how people get stuck. You know, that, that uh, there's an identity problem. You mm -hmm. know, they they think that real estate or wholesaling or flipping houses is, is them. And like, they're worried about what other people think about them. Right. But you know, I, I don't want that. I want to keep going. You know, I love talking to people, networking with people, learning what's working, what's not working and, and continuous growth. Yeah. Get better. Um, grow and you know I've I've given permissions multiple people in my office you know got our brokerage here um, I've said I've said to them um, if you ever see me in a continuing education class which you need right to keep your license going yep and my hair is all white yeah <laughs> you have permission to shoot me dead right yep, yep. <laughs> because that means I failed yeah. like I was not growing yeah so no, right. gro growth is huge but I I think there's a real identity problem with some people. They think that what they do is them mm -hmm. and they can't change. Right. I'm a wholesaler. Yeah. Right. I'm and that's not, it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. It, it's it's huge that um if, if you're if you are your profession and it's not that there's anything wrong with it, mm -hmm. I think it just limits what your yeah. options are. Agreed. Um so Corey Guzman says SoFlow is the next guru capital. Um what's interesting <laughs> is it was the guru capital. Really? Tampa was the guru capital is what my understanding was. Okay. And then Phoenix kind of took that mantle, I think, with Sean Terry leading oh, leading gotcha. that drive. But it's it's looking like there might be, you know, between Tampa and Phoenix, we might be going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, what part of Florida are you going to? Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Yep. Yeah. So so flow. <laughs> All right. So uh, Adrian Chalice, I'm probably butchering the name, struggling right now to develop the right strategy to scale out the rental portfolio. Uh, currently has one rental and one working full-time job. What recommendation would you give somebody who's uh, trying to build a rental portfolio that's got a full-time job? I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go around doing it. You can you can do the traditional buy and turnkey, put 20, 25% as a down payment on it. That's by far the least amount of time that you'll have involved into mm -hmm. it, but you're gonna have the most money put into it as well. Mm -hmm. So if you have an, an income where you're generating solid income, you know, do that. Buy a $100,000 fully renovated property with tenants in place, paying $1,000 a month, put 20% down and make, you know, $300 a month. It's a great thing if you already have other money coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, but like if you don't have money, then you got to do the Burr method. You mm -hmm. got to find deals yourself or buy from wholesalers. A lot of our rentals, we still buy from wholesalers. People don't think like there's still margin left on mm -hmm. them. Like we're still getting in the 70 cent, 75 cents on the dollar and refine out with no money out of pocket. So yeah. those deals are still there. 
Uh, so, you know, either learn how to market, which if you have a full-time job, you probably don't know how, or just network with wholesalers, buy deals from wholesalers, use private money to fund them, renovate them, rent them, refinance, and repeat the process. Yep. Um, and I think that's one of the uh, uh, places where some people get lost, where, you know, we got our show, so maybe we're part of the problem, <laughs> is that they have this idea, like, I need to quit my job wholesale to buy rentals. Yep. You can just jump right into rentals. Yeah. You know, like I quit my job at Intel, you know, to get into real estate and yep. kind of this thing where a lot took my eye out the ball, right? Uh, but I could have just kept my job yeah. and buy rental properties. I could have just done that. But I went this thing where I should become a real estate agent, you know, and I got a wholesale to build my rental portfolio. No, yep. like if you got a good job, Adrian, you can just buy rentals. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And then a couple of guys are here are saying that Burr is the ultimate. Uh, investment guys you guys any questions please ask here uh, all right so do you worry so Ray wants to know do you worry about advertising for lenders I guess this probably goes into maybe you know SEC concerns yeah so w do you do anything to protect yourself in that regard yeah so I've I don't like advertise I don't say like hey I got this deal for a hundred grand I'm paying you 10% interest there's some exact line of what you can't do I think it's offering a, like a specific interest rate you can't like offer a a sec a security or whatever mm -hmm. um, so i've never done that but i've always showcased deals to spark conversation mm -hmm. so i'll i'll do like a, a case study i'll be like hey you know i bought this house for 50 put 50 into it sold it for 150 i made thirty thousand dollars my lender without any work of his own just by writing a check made ten thousand dollars in interest mm -hmm. so like, i'm still saying like hey i'm raising private money without mm -hmm. saying hey i'm raising private money at ten percent right because they look at it and they're like how what he made 10 grand without doing any work like mm -hmm. i'm confused and then somebody's gonna message you like how'd the lender make money now your foot's in the door to have that right. conversation uh so you know i've raised like over 20 million dollars to fund all my deals the everything the flips the new bills the rentals everything and what i always say people always ask me like where's money at first of all money's everywhere literally anybody <laughs> you, you, you see meet, that right now it's yeah. literally everywhere literally <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anybody you meet can become a private money lender yeah. and the, the next question is like well how do i like talk to them mm -hmm. and what i always say like when i'm out like me and my girlfriend go out to dinner and she wants to like sit at a table and like have a date and we do those sometimes but i always go to the bar because like I want to be next to people, especially before COVID, it was a lot easier. But mm -hmm. even today, we still do it. I talk to the bartender. I talk to people to my left. Talk to people to my right. I go to car shows. I go to country clubs. I go to places where money is at. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, the conversation always leads to like, well, what do you do? And if I ask you, what do you do? You know, I'm in real estate. People ask me what I. People, when people usually ask me way back, mm -hmm. I'd say I'm in real estate. And they're like, oh, cool, and just walk away. Yeah, it's boring. Exactly. So now when people ask me, what do I do? It depends who I'm talking to. Mm. You know, if I'm talking to a young kid and they see the, you know, the Rolls Royce pull up, I don't say like, oh, I'm in real estate. I say like, I actually teach other people how to buy this car. Mm. Well, how do you do that? Right. I got the, you know, when, it's a Wolf and, Wall Street moment. Exactly. <laughs> but like when I'm trying to raise private money, they're like, well, what do you do? So actually I teach other people how to invest their money into real estate and earn, possibly earn double digit returns. Mm. How do, how do you how do you teach those people? And now your foot's in the door. Yeah. So there's a whole other conversation after that, but you just have to get the conversation started mm -hmm. and get the interest peaked. And then, you know, you can pitch them a deal that you have or an upcoming deal that you have. Tell them about private money, how they can earn money on, you know, retirement accounts, bank accounts, all that stuff. Yeah. But you just got to start the conversation. Well, and I think it's awesome that you're intentional with it, right? Because I actually had um, uh, one of my past clients, he's, um, he was telling me, like, you know, he's in the car club. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, you should be in the car club. I was like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of money there. But yeah, let's... <laughs> Let's go to this car club, yep. right? And so um, I guess it's invite only or something, so it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, all right, so the the message here, when you're talking to uh, what do you do, 
is you cater your answer to what's probably going on inside their head. 100%. Right? And 100%. that's the key to marketing, effective marketing yeah. uh, and sales, yep. is figure out what the other person wants mm-hmm. and see if you have that you can give it to them. So if the kid's asking you, what do you do? Yep. He probably wants a Rolls Royce. Yeah, exactly. Right? And someone's got a lot of money, they want to make more money. Absolutely. Pass- yeah. Passively. Yeah. yeah. So that's brilliant that you, you cater your message. I love that. Um, Another thing on the private money tip, uh, a lot of the money that I've been able to get has been because I've taught them how to how to raise their own money. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's a home equity line of credit or rolling their retirement accounts to self-directed retirement accounts or tapping into a cash value life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So if you understand like how people can get access to, you can ask better questions and get the real answers mm-hmm. and then teach them how to make money. Like my parents, they they uh, they got a home equity line of credit. I think they pay like 4% or something and they lend it out at like 12. Right. So they're making 8% on money that's not even theirs. Mm-hmm. They have a cash value life insurance policy as well. They pay like four or 5% to themselves mm-hmm. And then they lend it out at 12%. All right. Right. So teaching people how to get access, you know, it, it puts more private money in your pocket at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's something that maybe is not talked about enough is actually understanding money to yep. a certain degree. And if you, if you can understand it, you can coach someone through it. Yep. Then you're not just a borrower. Yeah. You're a resource. Yep. 100%. So I think that's huge. I've, I've literally got, I got goosebumps just saying this, but I've literally gotten text messages. Like I just retired two years early. Thank you. Like that, that's the most rewarding thing like I can do, right? Yeah. You can help me make money and I can help you live a better life than you ever dreamed of. Like, yeah. it's a win-win. Oh, absolutely. That's definitely rewarding. Uh, let's see. Uh, he also, Ray wants to know, do you do creative deals? Uh, I'm doing my first, uh, what's it called? First subject to like mm-hmm. next week. I've never done one. I've always just bought it with cash or well, mm-hmm. private money. Yeah. Um. So this was the follow-up question. This is from Luis. Is why Burr when you can do subject two or seller finance? So the thing with like, people always love like the idea of subject two, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, whoa, when they send it to us to buy, We're like, eh, you know, this doesn't work. Oh, what if I get a subject two to you? The only difference between buying it with private money and buying it subject two is you're saving the interest on the, the balance mm-hmm. of the loan. So if it's like a $100,000 loan, you still gotta make the mortgage payments so you're really only saving a couple percent in interest. Mm-hmm. It, the only way for us that it makes sense to buy it subject to, if you have access to a lot of private money, um, is if it's like almost turnkey and it's gonna be very little money out of pocket. Cause like, let's say you buy a deal subject to, but you gotta pay the seller 20 grand to walk away and you gotta put 30 grand into the rehab. Mm-hmm. Now this great subject to deal, you got $50,000 into it of your own money. Which is, you could, you could just got in the private money somewhere else. Exactly, you could have bought two turnkey deals for that. Yeah. Uh, so we've just haven't had that many opportunities that actually make sense. Uh, but this deal that we're buying, we're picking it up. It's going to be like five grand in rehab subject to the existing mortgage. And we're going to keep it as a rental property because it's only five grand out of pocket for a great rental property. Yeah. Uh, so Jeremy Mathis says that you're the goat. <laughs> What's up, Jeremy? Uh, and he wants to know, how do you teach your team to analyze deals for you? Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the questions I got very early on from a sales team was like, well, how should I analyze this deal? If the deal makes sense, we can make money from it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to analyze it as a just a rental property or just a flip or just a wholesale. If the deal makes sense, you can make money on it. So I'd always tell them like, we kind of use two ways to analyze it. The super, super quick way is like, look at what other cash sales are selling for in the area and just get it beneath that. That's like the easiest way you can go. Yeah. Uh, but that's not always like, the data is not always that clear. 
Um, so we just have a spreadsheet where we put in the ARV, the uh, uh, the rehab budget, and then it spits out the price for us. Yeah. Um, and then give or take, that's generally where we need to be. And then if it's close, you do further research, you finalize the numbers. But if you need to be like off of that, if you need to be at 100 and they're at like 200, like it, you just move on to the next one. Right. If you need to be at 100, they're at like 110, 120, 130. Usually there's a way to make that deal work. Got it. Is this in your uh, blueprints? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. You want to talk about your blueprint? Uh, yeah. You know, it's, a, it's an online course uh, teaching people how to get started um, in real estate. Basically, like somebody brand new or somebody that's done a couple deals that still wants the guidance of how to grow. Um, so it teaches wholesaling, uh, marketing, sales and negotiation, raising private money, flipping houses, managing contractors and buying rental properties. So it's, it's the blueprint of real estate. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, so Adrian was saying, I think many people like myself get stuck in seeing the big real estate investors. I feel as if we don't have as many rental properties as they do when we're not making or, or, or doing it right. So I guess might be a little of um, keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. potentially. 100%. Again, like, are you building a business that you want? Mm-hmm. Are you scaling chaos? Are you chasing something that you don't actually want? Because I know a lot of people that have great businesses and they show like the gross profit numbers, but the net is the same as it was if they had one person. Mm-hmm. So like, do you want that extra headache to, to look good on mm-hmm. social media? You know, social media, you can get caught up forever trying to chase somebody because mm-hmm. on social, you only see the 1% of mm-hmm. their perfect life. Right. You know, everybody goes through struggle. You know, I go through struggles. Mm-hmm. I lose money on deals. You know, I try to show that on social to be real with people, but people get way too caught up in keeping up with the Joneses. Um, I was laughing at your video of your tripod falling over. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my dance and it fell. I was like, oh, I'm going to post this anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's real life. For sure. Um, okay, so how do you set it up where if you're – how do you set it up so that you're not the one looking for deals anymore? You got to have a team. You know, it's, it's that simple. Uh, if you want to not be a solopreneur and not be the guy in the meetings that has to go in and out of the rooms mm-hmm. to pick up phone calls, um, you got to hire a team. You yeah. know, usually it starts with like a lead like manager. It starts with a cold caller. So you get off the phone, uh, you know, the front end of the phones. Then it's usually like a lead manager or warmer upper to hand them off to you. And then ideally that person learns enough where they just start closing the deals themselves. Yeah. And I think one of the other things, too, is, you know, it, it's hard for this. Um, you, you, you learn this as you get older mm-hmm. is you have to give people permission to fail. hundred percent. You know, like if every time someone makes a mistake, like you lose it, then they're going to be terrified yeah. and like they'll screw something up and they won't even tell you. It's like the, uh, if you're, if you're dinging the tenant for every repair yeah, and then they don't tell you about the, the repair yep. and now you've got crazy uh, mold, yep. you know, damage, right? hundred percent. You got to give people permission uh, to fail. hundred percent. That was a struggle for me. Cause like I was, I was the one that wanted to know about every penny of every mm-hmm. deal of every detail of everything. And uh, you know, I was just like on people, but like I've purposely, people have told me decisions. I know we're losing money, but I let them do the decision anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And I'm not going to let them lose a hundred grand, <laughs> but like if they make a decision and we got to lose a $200 earnest money deposit, like, I'm going to eat that so they can learn that lesson. Right. So, as long as we're learning. Agreed. Uh, Travis Copeland wants to know, how does he get on your mastermind yacht or mastermind on the yacht? What's up, Travis? I'll, I'll see you in Cabo in June. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeremy wants to play one-on-one. He don't want that smoke. <laughs> <laughs> what did you play? Uh, I was point, point guard, yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're pretty tall. so yeah. Got buckets. We, you can do it anytime, Jeremy. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to want in on this. Um, so what does your team look like currently? 
so sales team, um, one salesperson, uh, disposition slash project manager. So they dispo if we wholesale it, which we don't often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they run the contractors, whether it's a flip or a uh, or a rental property. Um, and then like a TC assistant, transaction coordinator assistant. Um, and then like we have property management company that manages all the rental properties. Um, and then, yeah. So you're back to self-managing. The rentals? Yeah. No, we got property management that does them. So you have a property management company that you, you use? Yes, correct. Okay, I correct. thought you were saying that you own it. No, 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 no. Yeah. I thought about building it, and I talked to some people, and they're like, don't do it. <laughs> no, if you're going to do it, you have to go huge. Yeah. You can't do it small. Agreed. And then we just started putting some Airbnbs in play, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. We got two. We're doing a third one. and I got like 20 doors in one neighborhood that's like booming right now, so we're going to transition all of them over. Uh, but like we're putting the i'm still learning it but putting like the autoresponder systems in place and then yeah. just have like my assistant help with like you know the variables in place who is the target audience that's um going to columbus or airbnb it's a great question and that's why i didn't do it for a long time because yeah. i didn't think there was a market for it uh but there's a lot of like weddings and stuff that still happen or mm. you know families coming in uh what i found is the bigger houses that don't really make sense is like just rental properties because like they're just so large and they cost too much actually turn out to be great rent, uh, Airbnbs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm rehabbing a property now that would never work as a rental property, mm. but I own a house, six houses down in Airbnb currently, and it's booming. So I'm going to do the same thing. But uh, families, weddings, we have a big convention center. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, conventions are held there for like gymnastics, the Arnold, you know, the big Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> his events in Columbus. Oh, that's you, right. You can charge crazy prices. Oh, yeah. for How far nights. is Canton? Canton? Yeah. Uh, I think it's like two hours, two and a half. Um, yeah, if like we go Ohio, I think that's where I would want to go visit. Yeah, right. they have uh, the Hall of Fame's there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're great. We love them. Um, all right, so Ben wants to know if you could have coffee with someone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, damn, I'm gonna have to think on that one. I mean, like, I want to get to know people that understand business. Like, I don't care about like sitting down with like a NBA player or something mm. like that. Like, I want somebody that like thinks different like the like the the jeff bezos or the elon musks um or the tim cooks or you know somebody that's like been way outside of the box and been wildly successful mm-hmm. i want to know like how they they actually like process thoughts yeah because uh, a lot of people like just think and then just keep it pushing other people like kind of think on the thoughts but like they're on a whole nother level yeah i'm with you on elon i'm a big elon fanboy he's um he definitely does not think like other people think. No, not at all. And I want to, I want to know what that's like. Yes, <laughs> um, so Adrian says, yeah, he definitely has a problem with keeping up with the Joneses. So uh, do I need 70 rentals or if I'm satisfied with a certain income coming in, and that's okay. And Adrian, look, you are not alone. I actually had this uh, conversation with my wife two nights ago. Yep. And she actually asked me the question, like, when is enough enough? You know, like, how, like how much do you need to travel? How much do you need to do this and that? And I was like, you remember that movie, The Greatest Showman? You know that song, you know, where she sings like, it's never enough. It's like, yeah, that's like my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a moving target. I'm still trying to find that answer. Yeah. But something that I did that brought some clarity to that question mm-hmm. is think up like what your dream month would be like. Are you living on a yacht? Are you flying a private jet? Are you living in Columbus? Are you living in Turks and Caicos? Mm-hmm. Are you traveling with your entire family? Are you traveling just with you and your wife? Think about what like your perfect month looks like and then add all that up mm-hmm. and then add like 20, 30 percent on top of that. 
And then that's the goal now because that's your perfect lifestyle. Right. And the problem is with us, when we get there, we're like, all right, well, I want to own the jet Figure. instead of rent the jet. Yeah. But like, I don't want to be some <laughs> schmuck renting a jet. I want to own the jet. I want right? to own the island. Exactly. <laughs> like, what was it? Uh, Richard Branson, right? He owns an island. Yep. And he owns a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. He owns a lot of things. <laughs> um, but it's like, it's figuring out like what you want your lifestyle to look like because yeah. every level there's there's a lifestyle adjustment you have to make to it mm-hmm. you know if you want to make 100 grand a year you can do that very passively and live you know completely comfortable yeah. if you want to make a million dollars a year you know there's some extra work you're going to have to put in there's some you know late nights you're going to have to put in when things go south mm-hmm. if you want to make a hundred million dollars there's even more things that you got to do so you just got to ask yourself like what do you want your life to look like mm-hmm. and then adjust the income to fit that lifestyle yeah and what price you're willing to pay agreed 100 percent. yeah um, all right. So, uh, Travis wants to know how much Do- Dogecoin are you holding? Uh, zero right now. But and then, uh, holding, I don't even know what H O D L is. How to hold, hold and never sell or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I got to learn this whole other crypto world. Um, <laughs> I love crypto, which is also, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. So then how much do you own in crypto? If you don't mind, uh, answering that question, seven figures into it. There you go. Uh, so are you using property? We talked about that. Um, can you talk about hiring an acquisition person, uh, no salary, so I'm guessing all co- all commission, mm-hmm. while only having like a two-man team? How do you get them to take over the job over other opportunities that offer base pay? Yeah, so getting somebody to start 100% just commission mm-hmm. uh, is definitely going to be difficult unless they came from a 100% sales job already. Uh, so that's usually like if you if you're hiring a killer that knows how to sell, that's producing maybe in car sales or something, you know, you may be able to get them to come in 100 percent commission if you can prove to them that you're actually producing the amount of leads you need to produce. Uh, but if you're not or if the people's newer, you know, starting them as we call it like a like a junior act, junior acquisition, putting them on a small base with a small commission for anything that they bring to the table. Um, and telling them like, hey, you know, my goal, if you want this to be the goal, my goal for you is to learn this game, start closing the deals and then move you to 100 percent commission because you'll make more money over there and it's less overhead for us. Mm-hmm. So getting somebody to come out the gate with no commit with no base um, is, is going to be difficult, especially because in real estate, you get a deal today. Sometimes it takes 20, 30, 60, 90 days to get paid mm-hmm. on it. Uh, so it's going to be very difficult for them to wait to one, two, three months to actually make money. Yeah. And we tell them right off the bat in the interview, like, just don't expect to get paid for three months. Yeah. Right. That's a great expectation. To yeah. Say. If you can, if you can come in here knowing you want to get paid for three months, then okay, let's, let's work together. But yeah, if you're telling me like you can't hold out three months, then um, this isn't going to work because yeah. you can have commission breath. Yep. Um, so Solomon says the goat again, <laughs> uh, what did your marketing look like when you were doing 10 plus deals a month, 10 plus wholesale deals a month? Yeah, uh, so we were sending out about 15,000 pieces of direct mail every month. Um, We had three full-time cold callers, cold calling all day, every day. Um, I think it was like 1,000 RVMs a day um, and then a couple thousand text messages a day. Um, We had PPC going as well. Um, And then we were still buying from wholesalers on top of that. So like I, I got into the game buying, so like that that's always been something that we could do. But uh, the budget was like twenty five ish grand a month um, when it was at its peak. And then um, why Rolls Royce? <laughs> uh, so I just I loved the car when I was uh, seventeen years old, freshman year in high school. I bought a Chrysler three hundred because uh, it's like the thing it that looks resembles. a lot like it. Yeah, exactly. But it's the only thing I could afford, obviously. Mm. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I just always loved it. You know, bought the bought the uh, Chrysler, sold it. Always had the dream of the Wraith. Finally was able to do it, and I was like, all right, I got to get the Wraith. That's awesome. Yeah, I see it every once in a while in the background uh, <laughs> on TikTok. All right, so Maurice George wants to know, um, have you ever done any commercial real estate or you know, a, a service a service hotel, strip mall, something like that? Uh, so I own a six unit like office building. Mm-hmm. Um, so like not like a, a strip center, um, a six unit office building, an eight unit uh, apartment building, a six unit apartment building, and then the rest doubles and singles. Um, so never like commercial, commercial, but like commercial loans on the bigger apartment buildings. Got it. And then what is your biggest struggle right now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, honestly, I think it's like clarity, like feel, trying to figure out exactly what you want out of life. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a lot of ways to make money, um, multiple streams of income. But like, what do you enjoy doing? Because I've been down the path chasing money. And it, it's cool. It's fun. You make mm-hmm. a lot of money doing it, but inevitably that, that wears out. Mm-hmm. So you got to really find out like what makes you happy. Um, like right now it's, it's building a brand. It's helping people. I get, I get hundreds of messages a day and people thanking me like, yo, I just bought my first house. I've been following you for six months. Thanks, man. Yo, I just, you know, retired, you know, we did a hundred K in wholesale fees, uh, you know, from following your trainings, you know, that's what I get happiness out of now. Um, so it's not, really chasing the money for me right now it's uh it's just trying to find out exactly what i want it's kind of a crazy answer for a 27 year old um <laughs> how do you stay motivated uh the why again mm-hmm. at the beginning it was it was i wanted the money right i wanted the nice things out well, we all started let's, let's call it spade a spade uh but again once you start getting that it changes um so like motivation now part of the cool thing about posting on social which you don't realize until you're in it it, it holds you accountable as well. It's it like you have a whole group of accountability partners. Everyone knows when I'm not running. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll go a day. I went a day without posting. Had a life, uh, a family matter that I had to tend to. And people were messaging me like, bro, you okay? Like, what's going on? Like, I didn't yeah. see you post yesterday. Uh, but, you know, they, they encouraged me to keep going. Um, and a little bit of lifestyle. Like, I still want nicer things. So I'm still pushing for money uh, and, and helping people right now. Yeah. What is your superpower? Uh I asked this question too, but it's always a weird answer. Um, I think I'm very conscious of my thoughts. Again, I think a lot of people just run 24 seven, 365 and never take a step back to, to think where they are in life. It's called the thought on the thought. Like you're th- you think something, but like, what's the thought? Why did you think that? How do you solve that problem? You know, I say a lot of times you can't control what you cannot control what comes into your mind but you can control your reaction to that that thought. Uh, so it's like a thought on a thought. Uh, just being very conscious of that. You know, one, one thing cool that I do, I journal every time I make a big purchase and I have a journal just for that. So like the first thing I bought the Jaguar, like, all right, what's my thought process? Why do I want this? Am I buying it for me or am I buying it for other people? You know, is it making me happy? Whatever that is. Then I bought a Rolex, same thing. I bought a bigger crib, same thing. I bought a Wraith, same thing. I bought, you know, I'm moving to Florida, paying a lot more to live there, same thing. And it's cool to see like how that thought process changes over time. You know, what was once a big decision Mm -hmm. is no longer even a a conversation. It's not on your radar anymore. Yeah. those list of questions, where did those questions come from? Which ones? Am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for other people? Got it, got it, got it. Uh, mentors. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I think that's a huge resource. If that's something that you could share. Yeah, absolutely. If you send it to me later, I'll post it in the, in the show sure. notes. I think that would be great for a lot of people that kind of try to understand their motivation 100%. behind what they're doing. 100%. I think that's that's awesome. 
again, most people just do it to chase clout, to yeah. keep up with the Joneses. Um, like the Wraith. Like, mm. I, I wanted the Wraith. It's mm. not an investment. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose money on the vehicle. But the cool thing is when you think about things differently now, how can you get it something? How can you get a, a, a liability to pay for itself? Mm. You know, that car has paid for itself many times over from yeah. partnerships, from meeting people, from private money, whatever it is. Uh, so you, it's very important to think, the thought on the thought. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, too, is we, we, we struggle. We work crazy hours. We, we take risks. Big ones. You know, and we're always looking at, like, you know, the return on this, return on that. At some point, you have to do something for you. 100%. At some point, you have to just, like, okay, I'm getting this. Yep. For me. Yep. So... And I it's not an cool. investment. Like I, I investment. want this because I want this. No, like I know I'm throwing <laughs> money away, right? Yep. This is money going out the window. Yep. But I'm doing it for me. Hundred percent. Yeah, you got to do that. Otherwise, what's the point? Hundred percent. Doing everything we're doing. Hundred percent. What's the greatest lesson you learned? I, I, I heard this uh, back when I was a teenager, and it was when you're not working, somebody else is. And there's two ways to take that. When, when you're not working, somebody else is working. Take your spot. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to take that. Yeah, I saw that on a No Fear T-shirt. <laughs> And one way to take that is like, I have to work 24 seven, 365. Mm-hmm. And that's how I took it at the beginning. And I yeah. did work 24 seven, 365, mm-hmm. but I don't work 24 seven, 365. Now you work smarter, not harder. You put the right systems in place. You hire the right people, the right processes. You make m- the highest income producing activity. Like I can put a product out for $5 and sell a thousand of them like that. Mm-hmm. But like, is that really worth the time making the product or is a better time spent, you know, helping people or creating content or whatever it is? Uh, so, you know, that's that's what my best driver is now is spending time, creating content, connecting with people and actually building relationships from that. Yeah. Huge. Um, what is your favorite, best or most interesting failure? Um, I, I think my favorite, a couple. So. When basketball, when the dream of basketball disappeared, um, like finding myself again uh, was was a big one. Um, and, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. They took me away from this opportunity to put me on a platform to make money in real estate and to give back and help other people. So I think that was huge. Uh, and then the first time I lost money um, was was not it was a horrible experience, but it was a good lesson learned. Um, and then the second time I lost money, I was actually partnering with a friend and we thought we were going to make like 60 grand or something. And then we underestimated the rehab and overshot the ARV, like how everybody does. <laughs> That's what right? happens. And we planned on like a three month, uh, hold time and ended up being like an 18 month hold time. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, went from making 50 to losing like 40 mm-hmm. and I think it was, I think it was like 25 or something. And I stressed on it for 18 months. You know, that, that was still a lot of money to me at the time. Right. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And finally, I woke up one day and it wasn't selling. We we're trying to figure out what to do with it. Didn't make sense as a rental property. And I picked up the phone and called my uh, called my buddy. I was like, um, do you want this house? He's like, well, I mean, I guess I could do an Airbnb on it. I said, bet. I'll write you a check today. Come pick it up. And mm-hmm. I ate the whole loss, mm-hmm. wrote the check, and just got it out of sight, out of mind. So spend your time on things that grow and make money. Once mm-hmm. there's a loss, like you're losing money. You yeah. can't you can't save the deal and, and get out of it for free. Just cut it. Cut it. Cut it and move on. Yeah. Is there a book that you've given uh gifted more than any other? Uh Think and Grow Rich. Uh, I have I've ordered hundreds of those. Um I actually keep them in the trunk of my car. So anytime I see like a kid, you know, sling them water bottles on the corner street mm-hmm. corner or something, I try and give them a book as well. That's awesome. Paying it for because you you got it when you were young too. I wish I remembered who gave it to me too. Oh, yeah. I don't, but it's it, uh-huh. highly recommended. Hopefully they're watching the podcast. Agreed. <laughs> um, 
How do you feel about crypto mining? Uh, mining? Mm-hmm. I don't really have an opinion on that, but I love crypto. Yeah. Yeah. What do you love about crypto? Uh, I think it's the future. So uh, a friend of mine, so I put money in back in 2017 when everything took a crap. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it was only like $500. So like, you know, I lost like 80% of $500. Uh, so I was like, ooh, like that's not it. Like I don't want to do that anymore. And then a friend came to me in like October, November, and he's like, I got something. I was like, what is it? Like, what's up? And he's like, crypto. And I was like, why? And he kind of told me why. I went home. I watched like eight hours of videos on YouTube that night. And I started to truly understand it. Um, we ended up buying Ethereum at like $300, Bitcoin at like $700. I mean, $7,000. Oh, I was going to say $7,000. <laughs> yeah. Seven grand. So I was like, proof of concept is there. You mm-hmm. know, made a lot of money, started doing a ton more research. And the use cases for some of these cryptos that are coming out, um, 100% will change the world. And I want to be part of that. To me, it's like finding the Amazon mm-hmm. when nobody knew what Amazon was. But everyone's talking about it. I think there's like five to ten percent of the population that's talking about it. We 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 we're see just it. surrounded by exactly. It. So it. it's it's the entire crypto market cap is two trillion dollars. Like that's not that much money. It was like four hundred billion in October, and now it's two trillion. So it's five it. x in six months. So I I think it's the future. Nuts. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, last question is from Solomon. Is what the what? How did you come up with the term elevate? So I was thinking about all the different terms like accelerate and, and elevate and all these things and everything was taken. Um, so it, I don't know. I just brainstormed. I journaled on it mm-hmm. and came up with with elevate life. Um, so uh, it's just like how business, obviously, how to make money. But past that, like, how do you become the best, like, father, son, husband, wife, whatever it is to, to your people, to your people, um, especially like parents? Like, how do you become how do I when I have kids, like, I want to be the best dad. I want to be 100 percent present. Um, all those things. Uh, how do you give back and help people and change most people's lives? Uh, so just elevating life in all aspects. Most people just talk about business. But like, how do you how do you help all the way around? Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of thought put into it. Um, all right. So think about uh, anything you want to leave the listeners with. OK. Uh, guys, if you get value, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It helps the algorithms, which means we can get in front of more people. And we create 100 millionaires. Um, and then we do have our workshop uh, on May 21st. So if you guys are interested in that, send me a DM. Also, you know, we're offering JV opportunities with the Brewer Method. If you guys are interested in that, uh, check out brewermethod.com. Um, what are the last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? For sure. So kind of tying it back to the beginning, you know, some people like that are dedicated will spend that, you know, max out their credit card. But everybody yeah. tells them not to, right? Yeah, we tell them not to. Agreed. But we do it. Agreed. <laughs> I believe in life, like people that like want something more from themselves are on the cliff and they're looking over and then they see the potential, but they, they still have some fear or some self doubt, or they're still listening to some people or whatever it is. Lean into people in your life that are, are positive and that believe in you. There's always somebody somewhere that's positive and believes in you. Even if there's 99, 99 people are negative, there's that one person that's positive. Cause I believe when people are on the edge of the cliff, they need a little push to get going. So mm-hmm. uh, I try to do that for people. Um, I encourage everybody, you know, listening to be that person for someone. Don't, you know, hold people back. Don't tell people how bad of a decision it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, what if this negative thing? What if that negative thing? What if it's the best decision they've ever made in their entire life and you're the one holding them back? So I encourage everybody to encourage others to do that. Uh, and it's okay to be at that cliff. Some people just need that push. Yeah, I love it. And what we always love to tell people is like, look, it's going to suck. 
Yeah. A lot. For sure. It's not easy. <laughs> but it's so worth it. Yeah. Life changing. It's incredible. I've never had anybody that took the leap of faith mm -hmm. come back to me and say, I wish I would have waited longer. Yeah. It's always, oh, man, I, if I knew that, like <laughs> I'd have been done it. <laughs> yeah. There's no one that regrets. 100%. Going for it. 100%. Uh, you're not going to, and even if you did, right? Even if you did it and it didn't work out, now you know. Yep. It's never this regret in the back of your mind. 100%. So you're awesome. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, so you can find me. Instagram is where I communicate the most. Instagram is at Austin Rutherford Official. Um, I got a YouTube channel, Austin Rutherford, and TikTok, Austin Rutherford as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Appreciate Great it. Show. Thank you guys for watching.